that was the opening music to No Way Out, and it was released in 19... Oh, where well, I don't have the date here. 1950, October of 1950. Yep. And it was directed by Joseph Mankiewicz and stars Richard Widmark, Linda Darnell, Stephen McNally, and Sidney Poitier. You're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from Portland, Oregon today. And I'm Bob Johnson here in rainy Los Angeles, welcoming you all back to Classic Movie Reviews for the film No Way Out from 1950. Um, For 1950, this is really a a dramatic and well-done movie. I, I had seen it. I'm not sure if I saw it. I think I saw it in college. I don't think I saw it as a high school student, but I can't remember for sure. The director, Joseph Mankiewicz, in 1949 was the best director and best screenwriting, won an Academy Award for A Letter to Three Wives. And then he repeated in 1950 with All About Eve. And then he followed it up with this uh, film, which is, uh, which is really well done. One aside, the, the, the actor that I see on Friday for a visit and we watch an old movie said that apparently after every scene that Richard Widmark and Sidney Poitier did, Richard Widmark was apologizing to Sidney Poitier for his language and, and what he had to do as an actor. And after watching it, you can see just uh, what that was. It was it was incredible. Well, and I guess that they were friends. They had become friends outside of yeah. the movie. and. And so it was even probably more difficult to do those scenes together. Because <laughs> I don't know if that would make it harder or, or not. I think it would make it incredibly difficult. And, and uh, Mr. Widmark was very active in the civil rights movement, uh, along with many other actors at that time. So, I mean, at a later time, it was the later 50s and early 60s. But uh, Yeah, I hadn't heard much about this movie uh, before watching it, and then when... When I was watching it, I was kind of shocked at how there it was in terms of the racism and, and how the, the language... They didn't pull any punches with the language. No! It, 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 it felt super realistic. Like, almost... Some of those scenes felt like you were watching, uh, like, a documentary of what it would have really been like in that situation. I know, especially the uh, in the black and white uh, photography... Some of it seemed to me like almost a newsreel when they had that big fight. Oh yeah, that fight. Yeah, that fight was amazing. I, I again, like, did not expect that. I, I, it because a lot of the movie is is uh, there's a lot of dialogue and sort of exposition. And I was reading in some of the comments on IMDb that that's people were kind of complaining about that. There's just too much exposition. I. Personally, I, I liked it. I thought it was appropriate and uh, helped move the movie along. But then you get to this fight scene kind of near the end, and it's a total kind of change of uh, pace, and there's action happening, and it was really well done. I, I think I'm, I'm it kind of, yeah, it left a pretty big impression on me. Uh, me, me too. I, I've seen it before, but every time I watch it, it's just stunning, the, the racial slurs and comments that that uh, are made we'll have to remember before we sign off today to uh, see if we can uh 
pick the uh, scene that uh, the listener that recommended this film sent us a long email and said, watch for a particularly noticeable scene in the movie. I think I have my finger on what it is. I just don't want re- I don't want to forget to talk about it near the end of our podcast. For sure, and I was I was <laughs> I'm kind of struggling with uh, what we're going to do with some of those audio clips because we are a clean uh, podcast in iTunes, and uh, yeah. <laughs> no. I, I you know I was um, a couple of things again the the the, the uh, actor the retired actor that I see every Friday gave me some background and, and and I hadn't thought about it but you know the movie in 1987 No Way Out with Kevin Costner yeah used the title from this film but it used the plot from a movie that came out in 1948 called The Big Clock which was Ray Milland and Charles Lawton it had nothing really at all to do with this film except for the title cuz I I could never connect those two titles with anything having to do with this film and, and that other one so that was interesting. Well, and even I, even I, last uh, episode was like, is, didn't they remake this? And Kevin Costner was in it, and <laughs> and then we realized that it's a totally different movie. I, I think they could remake this movie though, or maybe it's in some ways been remade many times in in different settings. Like, uh, I felt like the issues that were being dealt with in this film were just as relevant today. This this film is is almost a little bit timeless in the sense of what it's trying to tackle with racial prejudice and uh, discrimination. There's a few scenes that really stood out to me. One was the fight scene. There's a scene near the beginning when the administrator of the hospital is talking to Dr. Dan Wharton, played by Stephen McNally. And Stephen McNally's character is very much like, you know, I don't care about the color of my doctor's skin. It's just whether or not they're a good doctor. And the hospital administrator, I think, maybe was that Stanley Ridges? I'm not sure. I believe it was. He played Dr. Sam Moreland. Yeah, I think that was him. I guess in his mind was more of the realist in saying that it does matter and... Morning, Sam. What's been dropped out of our budget this time? I wish my job was as funny as you seem to think it is, Dan. Have you seen the morning papers? Well, I thought I did. I must have missed something pretty important. Oh, just a little item on a back page. Policeman battles gunman in rain. Policeman Edward Kowalski last night surprised two alleged holdup men, etc., etc. One of the brothers, John Biddle, suffering from a superficial wound in the leg, died shortly after his arrival at the county hospital. The cause of his death was not revealed. Why not? Well, I imagine because the death certificate wasn't filed in time for the story. Well, what caused the delay? The doctor in charge wanted me to corroborate his findings. Well, did you agree with him? I was satisfied that he'd done what he thought was best. Doctor in charge was Luther Brooks? Dr. Brooks was in charge. Dan, this is one of those things that I wake up at night in a cold sweat about. A grain and a half a second. Cause of death was not revealed. They'll follow it up, ask questions. Imply this, imply that. First thing you know, they'll whip it up into one of those hush-hush things, demanding investigation. Selling papers. Creating opinions. Sam, an unimportant item on a back page. You know what can become of an unimportant lump under the skin. Let's hope it stays that way. Fortunately, there was no mention of Brooks' name or the fact that he was a Negro. And what if there were? Don't be childish. 
Does the fact that Luther Brooks is a Negro affect his responsibility toward this hospital? Or our responsibility toward him? Now, wait a minute. Don't go reading any anti-Negro implications into what I say. I accepted Brooks here as an intern, and I'm all for him. Next year, I'd like another Negro intern. Maybe two. Why, if anything, I'm pro-Negro. I'm not. I'm pro-good doctor. Black, white, or polka dot. And it was a really interesting sort of dichotomy worldview that we still see today in things that are going on right now. Definitely, yes. And then the other one that really stood out to me was when uh, Dr. Luther Brooks, who was played by Sidney Poitier, uh, went home and just kind of collapsed in bed with his wife, uh, Cora, played by Mildred Joan Smith. Joanne? Mildred Joanne Smith. And she does this little speech about the sacrifices that she's made to get him to the point where he could be a doctor. Hello, honey. I've been worried. Where have you been? I waited as long as I could to have breakfast with you. Uh, Dr. Wharton and I had to go on an errand. What kind of an errand? The hospital business. You ought to have more than coffee. Let me fix you some eggs. <clears throat> this is fine. Just stay here and talk for a minute. You and Dr. Wharton, you get along fine, don't you? There's never been anyone like him in my life. He must be a wonderful man. And I'm sure he's taught you a lot. But you're pretty wonderful yourself. Yeah. Second Dr. George Washington Carver. And why not? So many reasons, Cora. One, I'm not even a good intern yet. Dr. Clark says your record's one of the best the county hospital's ever had. That plus Mom's apple cake with whipped cream ought to get me a pretty good job, shouldn't it? Let's not talk about it now. I wish I'd been consulted about his coming. Keep it as a surprise. You do that with kids. It's kind of childish. Well, it was really his idea. I need another year with Wharton. Not now. Let's not talk about it now. I'm not sure of myself in so many ways, Cora. Not now. Clark and his big, fat practice. I never know whether I was a good doctor. Get some sleep, honey. You're so tired. You worked so hard. Harder than anybody to get where you are. Shoes you shine, the dishes you washed, garbage you dumped, the food you couldn't buy because you needed books. Remember? How you studied, how I'd ask you questions over and over. Questions I couldn't even pronounce. Coffee, coffee and more coffee, slapping you to keep you awake. When you told me A was your passing mark, not for the others, just for you. You got them. All A's. No wonder you're tired. Even I'm a little tired. Cleaning up after parties, eating leftovers. One day off a week to be with my husband. Be a woman. Be loved. We've been a long time getting here. We're tired, but we're here, honey. We can be happy. We've got a right to be. You know, you can't just do it by yourself. It takes a whole group, you know, a whole support system to get somebody to that point. And I 
and even more so in his case because of the discrimination and the systematic blockers that are put in place just by the system and the the rules and all that because this was still a time of segregation in the south oh definitely and not in, and, and not just in the south it, it was uh, kind of sporadically found all over the country wasn't richard widmark something i mean he um his first film i believe was was an earlier one where he played this psychopathic killer and then this one where he's playing this racist and for him to change his image the way he did over his career into uh, quite a different uh, picture than it was uh, in this film is, is amazing to me he, he really epitomized i think uh, an outstanding actor he could have so easily been typecast right yes exactly and he and he was able to avoid that and he was in Judgment at Nuremberg, and he was so amazing in that movie. Yes, he was the prose- the chief prosecutor for the uh, for the Allies. Yeah, I, uh, what a he's he's a favorite of mine. And the other thing I was struck by was uh, Stephen McNally's character, Doctor Dan Morton, and the support uh, he gave to uh, to Sidney Poitier's character was. Uh, I think instrumental in, in, in keeping things moving ahead and, and uh, showing that you know that there was a there was a path out of this bigotry if if more people would get on board. I really was impressed with his character. Me too, and and he was a great ally for Doctor uh, Brooks, um, and really just kept bringing it back to it. It's not about the color of his skin, you know, and it, even in the hospital when they were you know there was uh, subtle racism you know and and those guards that were up on the uh, floor where they kept the prisoners were sort of questioning whether he was going to be a good doctor just based on the fact that he was black there was a scene where they were talking i forget it was it was uh, the security guards but i think it was also a physician say doc i don't recall anyone using that thing before you going to shoot something in his eye Spinal tap. Spinal tap. Checking the amount of pressure on the brain. First the eyes, now the spine. Kowalski, you sure you shot these guys in the leg? You ever seen this doctor before? No. Then maybe you better check. No, I know we got one of them in the house. This must be him. Right, right. It was just like, it was a very dehumanizing kind of statement. So it was... In, in many ways, it was very blatant with Richard Woodmark's character, but very subtle with some of the other people that were in the film. So so that always raises the question to me of, like, what's worse? Is the blatant racism of, like, a Richard Woodmark's character, Ray Biddle, worse than sort of the subtle, uh, behind-your-back sort of racism of, like, the doctor and those guards? You know, it's like, they're both terrible, but at least with... Ray Biddle's character, you you know what you're dealing with, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, it, that's a that's a good question. I, I don't, I'm not sure I know which way I would go on that. When when there was the scene where Widmark spit in his face. Oh right, yeah. I, 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 that was stunning to me. I mean, that that right, actually 50? was shocking. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, uh, well, no, was it was it was it. Was it Ray Biddle that spit in his face? Because there was another scene later that was even... The one that I was thinking of was that it was right after the the riot and there was an older woman whose son had been involved in, you know, who, she was white and uh, Dr. Brooks was coming in to help 
take care of all these people that had been injured. And she said something really racist to him and then spit in his face. And then he basically left um, because it was just too much for him to, to take at that point. And that was shocking to me. Oh, yeah. You know, I, you're right. I, I made an error that it was the, the woman. I, I, I mixed up the scenes there. Now, thanks for that. I, I would have had that uh, incorrectly stated. Yeah, that was, again, I had to keep saying to myself, you know, this is over 60 years ago. It, and, and, and it was so believable as a, as a reflection of what was going on at that time. A couple of people in the film that, that had sort of minor roles that turned out to be excellent actors later on, Ozzie Davis and Ru, Ru, Ruby D. they played family members of uh, Mr. Poitier. And what the man, Ozzy was a student. Uh, and, and I caught that because there's very little mention of them in the credits. In fact, I'm not sure they're, they're probably there, but they, they went on for major careers in Hollywood and on television, I believe. Well, and I, I thought it was interesting because, uh, well, I, I wanted to know what you thought about this. On the opening credits, uh, Sidney Poitier is, I think, fourth or fifth. Yes, I was. Uh, the, and it was, I think, yeah, the first film. So they 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 buried him after the uh, the leads, for sure. Uh, so I, yeah, I was wondering if it was because it was his first major motion picture, and so that makes sense to me. But on the other hand, I mean, he was between him and Richard Widmark, they were the two main characters. So. Yeah, I was just curious as to why they maybe put him forth, but it, it may it may just I may be reading too much into that. It may just be because it was his first big movie. I was thinking about his career. Uh, he made so many movies that were that were relevant and timely and and dealt with issues of the day. You know, like Blackboard Jungle, where he was a new teacher, and uh, no, he no no he. He wasn't. He was a student that helped the new teacher, Glenn Ford. I'm, I'm mixing myself up today. And then when he was in the heat of the night with Rod Stagger from 1967, where he uh, plays the uh, Philadelphia detective who uh, shows up in the in southern town. And, and there were others. He, he did one with uh, Tony Curtis where they were escaped from a uh, chain gang and they were chained together. So he did a lot of really, really groundbreaking films that were always yeah, he, in, well he's, he's yeah he's one of my favorite actors and i was excited to watch him in this movie he looks so young but at the same time <laughs> you, know. you could see you know he he had those he just has that presence that that we've talked about before where like well, there's some actors that when they're on the screen they're just like riveting they don't even have to be saying anything oh that's so uh, but true he, that is so true yes i was watching a film yesterday, uh, Destination Tokyo, with John Garfield and Cary Grant. And Garfield on the screen just fills it up. It doesn't matter who else is in the scene. You just have to watch him. He's so charismatic. That's the way Poitier, I think, is. Yeah, totally. Um, I guess we should probably do a little plot summary or something like that. Huh? Uh, well, it starts off with a couple of brothers being brought into the hospital and it's like an inner city hospital and they've been shot during a robbery and 
Richard, uh, sorry, Sidney Poitier's character is the uh, sort of the attending on duty and is assigned to take care of them up on the floor where they keep, you know, prisoners. Yeah, pretty much like a few minutes into the movie, we start getting into just how racist Ray Biddle is. No kidding. Because he's he's not having it. He doesn't want to have this black doctor working on, on them, and especially his brother, because his brother, something's not right with him. He seems to be doing a lot worse than what he should be doing based on his injury. Uh, so Dr. Brooks has this interesting scene where he's diagnosing what could be going wrong, and he they took quite a few minutes to kind of go through that scene i thought it was interesting they really slowed down the the movie right there and then he realizes that that he needs uh, the brother needs a spinal tap to relieve relieve the pressure in his brain um so he's going to go he's going to do that and ray biddle is freaking out because he thinks that he's dr brooks is trying to kill his brother and his brother ends up dying anyway and so the the plot kind of turns around whether Dr. Brooks made the right call and did was the brother going to die anyway and, and Dr. Brooks was trying to save him or, or did Dr. Brooks kill him? And, and it seems pretty obvious that it, if it had been a white doctor that this wouldn't be an issue. It's really about the fact that Dr. Brooks is black. Yes. And, and Ray Biddle does everything in his power to incriminate Dr. Brooks I mean, that's basically the plot, right? So yeah. then it's really about a character study of these different people. There's an, an, an unwillingness or uh, inability to have an autopsy done on, on the brother um, because it takes a family member's uh, okay to do that. Unless, you know, if the coroner doesn't want to move forward. And they're successful in that effort. Yeah, so Stephen McNally, uh, who's Dr. Wharton, goes and talks to Linda Darnell's character, who I thought she did a really good job, too. Yes. Uh, she plays she plays the ex-wife of the brother that died and is trying to talk her into doing the autopsy. And I think is kind of gets her there. Like, I think she's willing to do it. But then she comes to visit Ray Biddle, and Ray talks her out of it. And again, it's all about the fact that this doctor's black and, and he killed my brother and I, I want to make him pay. Um, there's an interesting scene in the hospital between Ray Biddle and Edie Johnson. Yeah, I was going to mention Where yeah. the, the security on that floor is a little bit lax. I, I was... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. I, I thought there was like many opportunities where he could have easily escaped. Uh, I, I, I just kind of chalked that up to it, it being a movie, but he wasn't very well guarded, I didn't think. Well, it, well that scene that you were uh, that that you were about to mention that I that I stepped on your line there. Um, he really manipulates Linda Darnell's character into into being convinced that that the, the doctor uh, did actually kill his brother, and kind of gets her to uh, get that word back to his family and other members of the community where he the neighborhood where he lives, and and, and watching Woodmark do that, he just looks so. Devious. What are you scared of? I can't move. There's cops all around. After all this time, you won't even sit for a minute. That's better. Edie, listen to me. I done too much. What we did to Johnny, we did together. He didn't know. It didn't hurt him. I know. I'll always know. And how are you going to make it up to him? You know what they do, Edie, when they examine a dead body? They cut it in pieces. They they chop it up like it was a hunk of wood. 
The way you feel about Johnny, I guess maybe you think he's got it coming to him. Johnny was a good kid. Yeah, that's why I was wondering. Johnny's body. The body you used to love. They say it's on account of you they gotta have the autopsy. Because you think he was killed and they want to prove you because wrong. Because that doctor murdered Johnny. It's the truth, I swear it. I seen it with my own eyes. Edie, sit down, please, sit down. Look, I'm on the level. What's in it for me not to be? Why wouldn't I believe it? Unless I knew Betty. They say you want to think the way you do because Dr. Brooks is colored. Yeah, sure, I know. I'm supposed to forget it. I'm supposed to forget my brother couldn't have a white doctor. Forget he'd be alive if he did. Edie, I want to ask you something. If you had a kid, would you send him to a doctor? Would you like one putting his dirty black hands on you? Would you like to be lying here like me, watching Johnny in that bed, shot in the leg, watching a doctor jab a needle into his back, watching Johnny die? If you're so sure, what are you afraid of? Give him a chance to prove it. No, because they won't be looking for anything they don't know. They want to fix it so nobody ever knows the truth. Well, and, and he does a really good job of uh, acting, obviously, but like in character, he does a great job of manipulating her and... and Using like that male dominant yeah. power relationship to women, right? Like he really makes her question her own thinking and turns it around so that she actually believes that she thinks the way that he wants her to. It was it was crazy to watch. And it leads to an unraveling of the of the community when the two sides, the whites and the blacks, get at it in this big riot fight yeah and it was an there was an interest yeah so that 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 leads directly to that big fight um, there was an interesting uh conversation in an elevator between Sidney Poitier's character and who was Ozzie Davis's character was that who it was who had the scar on oh, his face oh no that uh no that's a different person uh Ozzie played uh Poitier's relative that lived in the house oh right I know okay. who you mean though he was one of the leaders of the uh, the black gang that got ready for the fight. Dr. Smith, it's called Ward 7. You mind taking Dr. the next Smith, car, please? It's called Ward 7. You're late. I know. I've been looking for you. Still on prison ward, Lefty. Up. Henry will take you back up. Why, Henry? He's taking over from me. I ain't riding no elevator tonight. Why? Trouble's coming over from Beaver Canal, and I'm going to get me some. What are you talking about? Jonah just told me. One of the janitors picked it up from Joe to Barber. He flops in a mission over there because he passes for white. He heard him talk. About what? About you and what they're going to do to nigger town tonight because you killed Johnny Biddle. You've got to stop them, Nancy. Stop who? Beaver Canal? It won't help. It never has. It only makes it worse. Not for us, it won't. Not tonight. We're going to be ready tonight. You're talking like a crazy yes, man. Yes, sometimes I do get a little crazy when these things happen. Like six years ago when Beaver Canal came over. You were in school. My kid sister's still in a wheelchair. I got this from a broken bottle. Wait for you outside. Thanks, Henry. Lefty. But don't you see, this way you are no better than they are. Ain't that asking a lot for us to be better than them when we get killed just trying to prove we're as good? Yeah, but he played an orderly, I think, at the hospital. Or he was, yes. he, was he worked at the hospital, too. And, and he was talking about how he'd gotten that scar on his face from a broken glass bottle where they'd gotten in a fight. Uh, in the past and and he wasn't going to let that happen again and so he went to help organize 
basically, uh, you know, if the white gang had 50 people, they had, they showed up with about 200. Yeah, totally by surprise, as, as I could see it in the scene as it unraveled. Linda Darnell's character was sort of caught up in the middle of it, and a little bit on the sidelines of it, and rather than show a lot of, like, the people actually fighting, they kind of showed the reaction that she was having to what was going on around her and just how horrified she was. And I thought that was an interesting directorial choice to, to kind of put her in the middle of this thing that was happening and just the, the impact that it was having on her. I think that was a really good way to show the impact of that fight without all the brutality of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I also wondered as I was watching it again if there was any difficulty in getting the film by the production code that was in effect at that time in terms of how movies could be portrayed on the screen. I have not read anything about that, so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm surprised. I mean, really, by the language in the film that it did that it didn't get censored somehow. So um, finally, uh, uh, Sidney Poitier's character turns himself into the police and admits that he did murder John Biddle, so that he would force an autopsy to be done. I thought that was uh, really well done, and I, I, I didn't see that one coming when I saw the movie the first time. Me either. I was like, what the hell? He's admitting to killing the guy. And then it was, yeah, that was smart. It, no kidding. And then it shows that, that John Biddle did have this uh, tumor that was causing him these difficulties because it certainly wasn't caused by the gunshot in the leg. That was another scene where they basically had no security around John Biddle because the coroner comes out and says well nope you know he died of a brain tumor uh, Dr. Brooks is exonerated and then Dr. Brooks and and uh, Dr. Wharton leave and the coroner goes back into his room and so then there's one police officer and two of you know these kind of criminal guys and uh, that one guy who plays the uh, is it a brother who's deaf and yes he, he, was, can't, yeah. he can't talk right so um i think they use some pretty terrible language to describe him too in the movie so he conks the guard over the head and off they go so ray biddle wants to take revenge on dr brooks even though you know all the evidence says that he didn't kill him he just won't believe it he wants to he wants to take revenge and then it, it leads up to that last scene in the movie where they're at dr brooks's house right i think I'm not sure whose house they're at. I think it is. I'm not sure. But one aside on that, it took forever for the police to show up. Linda it did, gets yeah. there before the police. I'm like, wow. That was, I know they did that for the for the movie, but I thought that that's kind of different. It's uh, uh, Sidney Poitier and, and uh, Richard Woodmark and Linda Darnell. Through a struggle, they uh, Sidney Poitier and Richard Woodmark's characters, they fight and uh, I think a gun goes off and shoots Ray Biddle, and it was interesting because I think uh, Doctor Brooks could have just let him die, right? Like, yeah. Um, but he ends up using the gun to help make a tourniquet to stop the bleeding, and he says something. Is this the scene that we that you were referencing? Yeah, I think at the this is the scene that our uh, listener uh, referred to. 
Uh, Sidney Poitier has saved Richard Widmark's life by that tourniquet, and Widmark is uh, crying and 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 uh, is very hysterical. And the line is, and I think this is what the listener was after: "Don't cry, white boy. You're gonna live." You all right? My arm. Maybe my shoulder. I can't tell. It's not so bad. My leg. It tore. Something tore in my leg. It's it's bleeding. It's bleeding hard. Please. Let it bleed. Tear it some more. Let it bleed fast. You'll have to help me. To do what? Whatever I can to keep him alive. Why? What for? A human being's got to have a reason for being alive. He hasn't got any. He's not even human. He's a mad dog. You kill mad dogs, don't you? Don't you think I'd like to? Don't you think I'd like to put the rest of these bullets through his head? Then go ahead. I can't. Why not? Because I've got to live too. Then give it to me. You've got to live. I will believe me. Happy as a bird with him dead. Please help me. No. Look, he's sick. He's crazy. He's everything you said. But I can't kill a man just because he hates me. What do you want me to do? Take your scarf off. Put it around his thigh. Tie a knot. Not too tight. You sure you're all right? Thanks. They took the time getting here. was the one time that Sidney Poitier's character kind of said anything at all in terms of a racial overtone. He'd sort of been kind of a, trying to avoid that with a, with a uh, sort of an above-the-fray approach, but uh, I think that finally got to him. I think, I, think, I think it was really well played because you could, I think, in a very subtle way, but compared to the way the character was up until that point, it was really obvious that he was super angry at that point and i think he was angry of all at all the things that had happened to him of all the uh, of this guy that had tried to kill him but now he's put in a position of saving him because he's a doctor and this is what he does and he's he's just a good person so of course that's what he's going to do and and it's like it all it all just comes out in that one line i thought it was a really perfect kind of way to end the movie I, I agree. It was like, oh man, I, I am so angry. And then he says those words. I, I, I give the movie a ten, uh, without a doubt. I, I just for the for the time it was made and for the message, and the way it's directed and produced and acted is, and the screenplay I think is excellent. It was by uh, the director Mankiewicz and another gentleman, uh, Mr. Samuels, wrote the screenplay. Yeah, and then there was an uncredited 
Philip Jordan uh, or Jordan. That's right. Was a contract writer, but yeah, I I would agree. I give it a ten. There's a few things about like how lax the, the police were around the security and stuff that were maybe kind of plot devices, but overall, I was like really blown. I was really blown away by this movie. Quite a film, and I, I'm not. I, I didn't find a whole lot on how well it did in the theaters at the time. I, I don't know. I think it's another one of these movies that people should watch today. Like I, I think they should show the, they should show this movie at in in school. I, they'd have to get permission, obviously, because of the language. Uh, but I think it shows two things. One, it's like a it's like a view into the past of what it would what it was like in 1950. Yeah. But then I think it really it really makes you think that in some ways not that much has changed it's it it really is as relevant today as as it would have been in 1950 well we we both came at it with a 10 that's pretty good that that's our highest rating yep so what's up for our next podcast i think we talked about doing that musical oliver yeah, right, right which i i've not yet seen i've got to i've got to get busy and watch it have you seen it? No, not that I remember. Um, a musical written from the uh, book by uh, by Charles Dickens. That'll be something. Is this the 1968 version? Yes, I think Albert uh, Finney. Directed by directed by Carol Reed. Yes, that's the one. That's yeah. The okay. One. Uh, is Albert Finney in it? Um, not that I can see. Oh, maybe I'm mixing I, again. This is my mixing stories up today, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to be next time. I'm um, thinking of Albert Finney and Scrooge. For, sorry for that. Uh, that was, okay. <laughs> different, <laughs> different Dickens. Different, different Dickens. So thank you for listening, everybody. And you can find us on iTunes. Uh, just search for Classic Movie Reviews. Or on the web, just go to www.classicmoviereviews.net. Or in Facebook, just search for Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us there as well. And thank you to everybody who's been leaving comments, especially in Facebook, and suggestions for movies, because uh, they've been really good. So uh, this is Matt Johnson coming to you from Portland. And Bob Johnson from Los Angeles, wishing you happy movie watching. How do I sound? Am I sounding okay on the volume? Yeah, you sound really good. Okay. Yep. How do I sound? Good. We're all good. Everything's good. (laughs) Well, we'll just pretend that everything's good. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's better to be delusional. (laughs) Yeah.